friends, welcome to the Faithful Podcast, stories of people who walked by faith and gained a fuller understanding of the faithfulness of God. I'm your host, Stephanie Baker. This is our very first episode. I've been toying around with the idea of a podcast for over a year, and I worried way too much that it either had to be perfect or it wasn't worth doing. Finally came to terms with the silliness of that idea and decided to let this podcast represent my relationship with my Heavenly Father. Imperfect, but faithful nonetheless. I hope that it's a blessing to you. This week we have Aaron Woods as our guest. Aaron is a friend of mine that I met in my very early days at Texas A&M University. We met at a Christian camp uh, for incoming freshmen called Impact, and we both... uh, we kind of clicked really early on, and I ran into Aaron recently at a concert that was pretty amazing last incredible. weekend. Yeah, incredible. Um, got to see Need to Breathe. It was about probably our fifth time seeing them, but Johnny Swim was at least as good. It was they were really great too. So it was really great running into her. Aaron is somebody that um, I have a lot of respect for, and I know that we have a lot in common. And I'm excited to hear about some different things that are going on in her life and that have happened in the past. So Erin, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Awesome. Well, first of all, I'm really glad to be here. So honored to be your first So glad to have you. (laughs) Very exciting. Um, And way to go, being brave, jumping out there. Thank you very much. Um, I am a Houstonian, born and raised. I left for a little while to go to A&M. Hullabaloo, gig them, and all those things. <laughs> and um, didn't really intend to come back to Houston, but the Lord had other plans, and so pretty much immediately came back to Houston and have been here ever since, and occasionally asking the Lord when I can move to the mountains. <laughs> he continues to tell me that it's not time. You don't love the beautiful scenery of Houston, the Texas? The rolling hills yeah. of Houston, Texas, <laughs> yes. Um, so I graduated from Texas A&M. And which, of course, is how you and I met. Mm-hmm. Now we share a love for Need to Breathe, Johnny yeah. Swim, and the Enneagram. Yes, very much so. And, which I'm a four for anybody that knows what that means. It's not a cult. I know Enneagram sounds <laughs> cultish. It's not. It's a personality thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a teacher. I teach fifth and sixth grade Bible at a private school in Houston. And awesome, love it. That's so great. I think it's so awesome that um, you are into the Enneagram as well. I'm a nine, I'm a peacemaker, and sometimes that that hinders me in a lot of ways. <laughs> I can't make up my own mind. I can hear everybody's perspective, but I miss my own in the process. So I think that fours are pretty interesting folks. Um, so when I talked to Aaron about my desire to, to share some stories of seeing God's faithfulness in the midst of hard times, we talked about a bunch of different ep- uh, op- ideas for episodes. And one of the things that really stood out to me was when she was talking about her sometimes conflicted relationship with the church. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Absolutely. Uh, So I grew up in the church, have been a church attender since birth, Um, (laughs) always loved the church, didn't really love getting pinched when I was falling asleep during the service when I was a kid. The back of the elbow space. Yes, yes, exactly. Um, But... When I was younger, I think it was the social aspect of church that, that I loved. Um, I was put in a room with people my age and told to hang out for an hour. And mm-hmm. nothing was better for me as a extrovert. Yeah. Um, and so grew up loving the church. And then as I got into youth group, um, really began to fall more in love with Jesus at that point. Um And so church was the place where I was learning to walk with him, which made me love the church um, even more. My love for church deepened as I learned how to be on mission with God and how to love his word. But those years were also really marked by a feeling of being overlooked often, I think. And so it was this weird dynamic of being put up front as a leader Um, But then behind the scenes kind of feeling looked over when it came to things like discipleship or um, things that I felt like maybe would have been beneficial to me in those growing years. I think there was an assumption that because I was a leader up front that I didn't need it as much as other people. And so just spent a lot of that time kind of balancing the dynamics of 
enjoying being a leader and getting the opportunities to help with worship and things of that nature, but then also really feeling like there was something more that was being kept from me. Um, And then as I've grown as an adult, that feeling has kind of resurfaced time and again of just being uh, that feeling of being put on the bench. Can I can I ask you a question real fast just Absolutely. to clarify? So you said as far as like discipleship is concerned, you were passed over. You mean being discipled? Yes. Okay. So we would have summer interns come in and this is just like one example. Um, and if my youth pastor hears this, I love you and I do not hold this against <laughs> you course, or anyone else. <laughs> but um, they the female intern would always have a discipleship group with the sophomore girls and the year that my group was in our sophomore year they skipped us and went to the freshman girls and the reasoning was that our group was mature and understood what it was that followers of Jesus looked like and so we didn't need that yeah why would you disciple somebody that looks like they're you know, actually interested totally. in lo- and loving the Lord. <laughs> absolutely. 16 year olds have it all figured out. They don't totally. need discipleship at all. <laughs> and they never put on a mask no, or anything. No, not no. At all. <laughs> okay. I understand. So things like that would happen. Um, and then, you know, I think just the, the natural thing of growing up in a Baptist church, you know, there are obviously more men in leadership than right. women. And so my, I have an older brother and I watched countless men pour into him and his friends Mm -hmm. and wanted longed for that same kind of connection with older people and having mentors and it just wasn't as readily available um and so i think there was some just desire i knew that you know my male youth pastor couldn't pour into me the same way he did my brother but i that didn't mean that i didn't long for that kind of relationship somewhere and there just weren't as many women to go around but Mm. there were as many if not more girls to be pouring into um, which also informed my call to youth ministry as I grew I wanted to go into youth ministry partly because I saw a need for women in that field yeah I I totally agree there are a lot of women that um I was kind of in a similar position. I was always kind of the, you know, quote unquote, good kid in the youth group. I, you know, wasn't getting caught doing all kinds of things that I shouldn't be or whatever. But there weren't a whole lot of folks around that really, that I looked up to that were willing to take the time to meet with me. There were some along the way, and I'm so thankful for that. But as far as a discipleship relationship, I didn't really get that. And even... Right. Growing into that as an adult, it's it's hard and it's really sad because there there are great women out there. Absolutely. And I think maybe they feel the same way that I do about this podcast, which is like, oh, this is more than I can take on. I'm not ready for that responsibility. So that's unfortunate. We've maybe as the church kind of reinforced that, that like you have to have it perfect or you're there's no point in discipling somebody else. Right. And I think that it, it is a challenge to help people figure that out and navigate it when I was doing youth ministry, which probably we'll talk about in a little bit. um, You know, I found as I would ask women to be involved in the ministry with me, there was always hesitancy. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it was this fear of, well, I don't know how to do that. I I don't have it figured out. And so I can't help somebody else Mm -hmm. along the way, you know? And so what I would do with them was to say, hey, I just want you to come and be present. And as we do small groups, I'll lead the small group, just come hang out with us as we do it. And then six months in, I found, you know, this woman was jumping in more and more and I was able to give the reins to her and kind of step out. That's awesome. And, you know, I think that there's, whether it's a numbers issue because we don't feel like we have the time and the people to do the training for the people that we're trying to bring in to help, Mm -hmm. um, or if it's just a misunderstanding and a misallocation of our time and our efforts. um, There are people who want to have a place to use their gifts and strengths, but it feels intimidating. And if nobody's going to hold their hand through that process, then they usually just hang out on the sidelines watching rather than 
most people aren't going to just show up and start serving. Right. Especially with teenagers, because teenagers can be oh, they're brutal. Terrifying. <laughs> terrifying. <laughs> brutal. Uh, side note, we both teach teenagers, so yes. that's they can be wonderful, and we love them so much, but when you don't know them, it seems scary, because we're not nearly as cool as they are. Right. And they just live in such a different world. They do. I mean, I say even more now, I wasn't an adult when I was a teenager, so I don't, <laughs> maybe they felt the same way, but with yeah. social media being such a marker of mm-hmm. their growing up and their significance baffling to me and I'm like I don't know how to help you navigate that all the time (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's that's good I appreciate you sharing about um the different ways that you you saw this in your own life and how you're kind of choosing to combat that now Mm -hmm. as you're getting a little a little older and a little bit further down the road right um so that was a little bit in your past. Um, did you want to kind of share a little bit about what's been going on now? Or do you sure? Do you feel comfortable with that? Sure. Yeah, sure. yeah absolutely. Um, so, you know, as I've grown, I've continued to feel sort of that dismissiveness from the church from time to time. And part of that is how I'm wired and the way that I read the you circumstances, you. you know, fours, we... <laughs> a little melodramatic like about suffer. things. <laughs> yes. Um, the verse that talks about suffering with Christ, that's how I explain Enneagram 4. We, like, live in that verse, and we're like, see, it's purposeful. Pain is good. <laughs> suffering with Jesus. Yeah. But it's not always good to sit there for so long. Right. Um, but, you know, I... One of the common threads of my life is that feeling of being invited into something and then once I commit to it being sat on the bench and you know it's something that I've addressed with my current church leadership a couple times of you know I thought I thought that this was how it was going to look when you invited me into this but I'm feeling this way and you know I'm at the point now where I can address it and say I'm sure this is not what you mean right but this is how I'm reading the circumstance and so I need you to help me by communicating what's actually happening Um, which has been good. But I think that, you know, there are people behind policies and behind problems and the church can forget that in the busyness of trying to do ministry and trying to keep things going um, and keep all the marbles on the table. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's easy to just make decisions and not really think about how they're impacting people. And so I have felt that personally. Um, I was in this youth ministry job for three years and, um, you know, pouring, pouring my life into that job. And it was hard from the beginning, just, um, my experience of church and their experience of church was different. And so it was hard for us to come to a place where we understood each other. Um, but I still invested, loved that church, loved the students of that church and was let go really unexpectedly. Um, and the way that that process was handled was very hurtful. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, I think that what happens is a lot of times the decision makers, um, may be businessmen that are deacons or elders, and they're trying to make decisions to help the church in the long run, but they're coming from it from a business perspective. And, Sometimes in that process, the relationship and the value of image bearers as the people created by God can get lost or overlooked in that process. And and I've seen that not only in my own experience, but even watching the church navigate culture and navigate right. political issues, we can get so fixated on what is the moral right in this Mm -hmm. that we forget that by trying to legislate moral right we're affecting people right and we leave out that that personal connection to Mm -hmm. it and we just want this decision made and we don't think about how that decision is going to affect people and how to engage with them as we're wanting to affect culture for the kingdom of God. Mm. I think some of the stuff you said was really good. I think um, a lot of times in churches, 
we we have to make smart decisions we have to be good stewards and so we automatically think oh business that's how businesses are run and I think it's supposed to look really different than a business. But, I mean, we do have to be good stewards of what we have. We have to hold people accountable just like in the business world. But it shouldn't – the church should be a place of of refuge. Absolutely. Uh, That doesn't mean that somebody's going to be on staff forever and ever. But when it is time to part ways, I think we need to do that in a very gracious way. Yes, yes. And there's a difference. You know, if somebody has – done something that is illegal of course, or something yeah. that you know stirs up dissension in the church that needs to be handled mm-hmm. quickly and you know needs to be a pretty clean quick cut I right. think but when it is just a difference in how you view ministry um, you know there should be room there to to let relationships naturally end and fade out Mm. um, rather than, you know, this quick, okay, we're letting you know you need to pack your box and go Mm. Um, when, and particularly with students, you know, my youth pastor left my senior year of youth ministry. Mm -hmm. And I remember very clearly him announcing on a Wednesday night that it was his last Wednesday and just the heartbreak of that, you know, and the students that I had been working with um, they're two youth pastors. They were co-directors. And four months into me coming on staff, both of those people announced that they were leaving. And so I had watched the youth grieve that and try to process that, and which was part of what made my transition into the church difficult because right. then I became the face of change, which is not a fun place to be. Of course. When the two people that the whole youth group is attached to both leave because and they're loved and every student thinks that they're their best friends um, which is great but then you know watching them grieve that I felt like I had a pretty good understanding of what would be a healthy exit and what wouldn't be Um, and decision makers in the church don't always get to see those inner workings and so you know there needs to be room for the people that are in the midst of it to say okay, I understand that this may not be a good fit. It may be time for me to go, but let's make sure we do it in a way where people are not going to be hurt or feel angry at the church or angry at what's being done to them as well. Right. You know, because it's just no questions asked. This is the end. See you later. Mm. Um, And so navigating that, Particularly, I lived three minutes from the church, so it was going to be awkward one way or the other. Mm -hmm. Um, And so navigating that, I think, not just for me, but for churches in general, I just don't see there being a ton of space and grace for handling exits well. And it's just something we need to work on. Yeah, that's that's really good. I... I know that God has been really faithful to you in the midst of this. And I know it was a, I'm so sorry that you had to go through it, but I've been through some kind of similar stuff. And I know that God is faithful. And I know that there is so much that we're able to glean from these times. And so um, if you could kind of talk to me a little bit about maybe some of the things that God showed you. Yes, absolutely. So what was really fun it didn't really feel fun at the time, but as our, that job was ending, I had some friends that were working at a lodge in Northern California. Oh, and nice. right, it was amazing. Mm-hmm. And so they reached out to me, knowing the situation, and said, "You know, why don't you come work in the kitchen for the fall season and figure things out while you're here? You right. know, you don't have a plan, so come hang out with us, cut some vegetables, and." see what happens. And so I got in my car. I didn't really feel like I needed to pray about that because mountains, people I like, and fall weather. There you go. That seemed like a yes to me. (laughs) So I got in my car and drove a solo road trip to Northern California and honestly was nervous about that. I am an extrovert, so I don't love having a ton of alone time. Um, and driving that far by myself was something I had never done. Yeah. So I was nervous about it. But that time in the car driving across uh, the United States <laughs> ended up being really sweet. 
and I got to stop and stay with different people. I stayed with my brother in Albuquerque and that's awesome. a friend from youth ministry in Las Vegas and then an internet friend in <laughs> Reno <laughs> um, and then made it to Fort Jones, California. Oh, and so that, that trip was really sweet to be able to have these stops along the way with people that loved me and that God had given me. Um, and then my time there was really precious because I was in a place where I was surrounded by beauty. Um, I would always rather be in the mountains than anywhere else. So I think yeah. I already said that, but um, I f- feel very strongly about it. Yeah. And so getting to spend two and a half months in the mountains and in a job where I clocked in and clocked out and didn't feel like I was on call 24 seven mm. as people in ministry do. Right. Um, was really sweet. And I lived with a 17 year old and a 22 year old in this cabin on the property, which was really interesting because I'm in my (laughs) thirties. And so we were in very different stages, but even that was such a gift getting to be around them and just the joy that they brought. Mm. Um, and I really just felt like an older sister with them, which I think I needed after that experience in youth ministry. Um, And I think during that time, you know, what I really felt like with the Lord was his nearness was very evident to me Mm. Um, in previous seasons of disappointment with the Lord and with the church and with life, his silence had felt very cold to me. And so in this season that wasn't my experience at all. The silence of God didn't feel like he was distant and didn't feel like he was uncaring. It actually was the extreme opposite where it was very evident to me that he was with me in the midst of it. And I very clearly remember just the spirit speaking to me that, um, the reason that the Lord is silent is because he's grieving with me that Mm -hmm. he was heartbroken over, the wounds as much, if not more than I was. And he wasn't going to push me to get over it and move on. He wanted me to sit and to grieve and to deal with that pain um, and really allow him to be with me in it rather than to get over it and move on to the next thing. And so that was very sweet. Um, And then I I would say coming home, which didn't make sense to me at all because I was leaving (laughs) the mountains do you of like Northern the California. <laughs> yes, a little bit. Okay. Just leaving Northern California in the middle of fall, mm. which was just the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen, to drive back to Houston, which knows nothing of fall. Yeah. And uh, we have pumpkin spice lattes at our Starbucks. True. Isn't that all it takes for true. fall? True. <laughs> <laughs> we are supposed to have fall weather this weekend, I oh, think. Okay, good. We'll see. Yeah. Um, but so driving back was hard anyways because mm. of that. And then when I got back I just didn't really want to go to church anywhere. Hmm. Um, I hadn't gone to church much while I was at the lodge because we were usually preparing for the next round of guests. And so coming back to Houston, I just did not want to go anywhere because church had just, the most recent experience of it had just felt so painful and isolating. Hmm. And I just thought, I don't want to do that anymore, you know? And I I think it was my third week back, the third Sunday back, I woke up and really clearly remember, I won't ever forget it, the Spirit just speaking to me that if I didn't get up and go to church that morning, I was never going to go back. Mm. Um, And, you know, that didn't make me go, oh, well, okay, (laughs) (laughs) then I'm going to get up and go with joy. You know, I still didn't want to go, but... One of the things that the Lord has instilled in me over the years is a love for the church, despite mm. her many, many issues. Um, but, you know, he loves the church and that's how he has chosen to work mm. in our world for the time being. And so if he loves the church, then then I can love the church because mm. it hasn't hurt me as much as it's hurt him. Right. So I got up and went and that was about the next nine months of going to church was Every Sunday morning, getting up and going, God loves the church. He wants me to love the church. So I'm going to go. 
<laughs> and it was just really a practice of discipline. Um, and community group was kind of the same. I had joined a community group and the first three weeks of showing up, sat in the car trying to talk myself into going inside. Um, <laughs> I had never experienced social anxiety before, yeah. but um, it was overwhelming. The mm. social anxiety was overwhelming. Um, and so I would sit in my car and tell the Lord, like, what if, what if I go in and invest my life into getting to know these people and they don't want me? Mm. Because that's what it had felt like in my youth ministry job. I'd invested and spent time pouring into these people and trying to learn how to best love them. And in the end, it felt like they didn't want me. Um, And so processing that and working through that by really just choosing to do it anyways Mm -hmm. was, I think, what allowed me to see God's faithfulness. If I had not positioned myself to see his faithfulness, I wouldn't have seen it. I would have missed it because I wouldn't have been looking for it. Right. I think you you made a really cool comment there at the end. If you were positioning yourself in a way to look for it, I think a lot of times it's easy. And I mean, just to kind of bring back the Enneagram, like force tend <laughs> to kind of be a little bit more on the, you know, sitting in the sadness a little bit more. And that's got to be really challenging. But that's so cool that you made this active decision. Like, I'm going to let my mind be changed by you, Lord. And I'm going to let you kind of take control. Um, I think that is a real challenge for a lot of us because it's easy to sit in that no matter, you know, what your personality type or whatever, because it's hurt. It hurts. And sometimes we're just looking for an excuse to be angry. And I think it's so important for us to be looking for those moments where God is good and being thankful for them. And, you know, there's a lot of times used like analogies in marriage or relationships. You're kind of faking it till you make it sometimes because you're like, I don't feel like caring about this person, whether that's a friend, you know, quote unquote friend or the, you know, a coworker or whatever you're, there are times where you don't feel like caring about them and you'd rather just shut them off. But sometimes when you start to allow yourself to care and allow yourself to love, you might be surprised that some of those people end up being ones that are, you know, lifelong friends or very deep and important, even if it's for a short season. Mm -hmm. So what do you, um, what do you find helps you to remain faithful? What is, what are some things that really, um, point you back to God? Like some practical kind of things. Sure. Um, I think the main thing that takes effort is remembering, Mm. remembering God's faithfulness. Um, Like the majority of people, Deuteronomy is one of my favorite books in the Bible. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) (laughs) Who doesn't love Deuteronomy? But one of the things that Moses talks about over and over again with the Israelites as they're wandering the desert, Mm. which they're doing because of their own issues, Mm -hmm. um, is to remember God's faithfulness. He points them back to Remember what God has already done. Remember how he parted the sea. Remember how he brought you out of slavery. And it's always tied to current faithfulness. Mm. Remember so that you can remain faithful in this season of wandering. But then that current faithfulness is always tied to the future promise of God. Mm. And Amen. And, <laughs> I know. In um, Deuteronomy, I think it's Deuteronomy 8, he talks about you know, keep the commands of the Lord so that when you enter the promised land, you will be strong. And what I have really come to believe that is speaking to is that, you know, if the Israelites had not remembered God's faithfulness, God's faithfulness, and if they had not walked in faithfulness, which they didn't always But if they had not walked in faithfulness, that God was still going to keep his promises one way or the other. He doesn't keep his promises based on our obedience. Um, He keeps his promises because he does. He chooses to be faithful even when we're not. But that their enjoyment of the fulfilled promise when they finally got there was based on how they had lived 
getting there. Mm. And so if if they were going to be faithful, then they would have the energy and strength once they arrived at the promised land to actually enjoy it. But if they were going to choose to do things their own way, he would still take them to the promised land, but they would be so worn out from fighting against him all along the way that they wouldn't really enjoy it. Mm -hmm. And so for me, remembering where God has been faithful in the past helps me to kind of hunker down in these seasons Mm -hmm. of disappointment and heartache and seasons where kind of how you were saying, you know, there are times when we're like, I don't want to talk to that person. I have seasons like that with the Lord. Mm. Um, I'm kind of in one right now (laughs) where I'm like, I don't really want to talk to you. I'm kind of annoyed by you and (laughs) feel kind of mad at you. And, you know, remembering that he has always been faithful before Mm. helps me in these seasons to go, but I'm not going to disconnect and I'm not going to walk away because I, I know that my best is wrapped up in knowing you and walking with you. Mm-hmm. And I believe that he's going to keep his promises. And so when I see the fulfilled promises, I want to be able to enjoy them. I don't want to be so tired from fighting against him that I can't even enjoy what he gives to me in the fulfilled mm-hmm. promises. Um, and so I think that's like the biggest way for me. And then having people around that can remind me of his faithfulness. Cause sometimes we just can't see it. We aren't experiencing what feels like the goodness of God in a certain season. And so having other people around that can testify to his goodness in their life mm. helps me to say, okay, well, I may not be feeling firsthand that God is good at this moment, mm-hmm. but I can see that he is mm. around me. Um, and so having those people who will continually speak that over me and then having people too that are willing to deal with my mess. I mean, bless my community group's heart. Like, <laughs> I think I cried every other week that first semester because mm-hmm. I just was such a mess from all this hurt. And they just let me cry and like mm-hmm. kept inviting me back every week, you know. And now this, I'm in my fourth semester with them and getting to, to teach it now. Mm, that's awesome. um, and that group has become so sweet to me. And... It's because they were willing to put up with me in a season where I was just a wreck and not sure what I thought about God or church or people or myself or anything. (laughs) That's awesome. Do you, do you, do you journal a lot? Do you, um, memorize scripture? Like when you say you remember, I mean, obviously that's thinking back, but is there anything that you, um, that you do to help you remember? You said being around folks, do you... Are you a journaler? You seem like you would be a journaler in in seasons, maybe. I am the worst journaler (laughs) journaler you've ever met. I buy journals. Oh, because they're cute. They're so cute. (laughs) And I have really great intentions to journal, and I do for like three days. Oh, it sounds like me. (laughs) And then something else comes along, and I stop. But but I am a writer, Mm. which is silly. To oh. be a writer and not a journaler, but <laughs> it's writing a with writer. a different purpose, right? Yes, and so um, music is very effective for me. Um, it can either drag me down or lift me up. Um, and I used to write songs a lot. I haven't been writing as much in the last couple of years, but um, writing out my thoughts. I recently wrote in the last year wrote a Bible study for my church. And so doing things like that where it kind of forces me to be in God's word, it forces me to face what's happening. Um, Writing that Bible study was probably one of the hardest and most rewarding things that I had done. Um, I had already had the idea to write it just for my own purposes. Uh And then... Um, with my church, I did an apprenticeship for, I'm in seminary, so I did an apprenticeship. And as we were talking about ideas of what to do, I brought that up and they were like, yeah, do that. And then I thought, oh no, now I have a deadline. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so I would sit down to write and just nothing would come out. Mm. Um, And I had a friend who I was speaking to about it one time and I had kind of realized that in losing my job, that gifting of 
writing and teaching had been really deeply wounded, but I had been spending so much effort trying to heal my thoughts towards the church that I hadn't even acknowledged that that had been wounded. And so when it came time to use it again, it was terrifying. Mm. And this friend set me down and she said, you know, Aaron, the Lord trusts you with it. That's why he gave it to you. He trusts you with his words. And so he's giving you the words to write Mm. because he wants you to be the one to take them and share them. And so you don't have to worry or be nervous about it. And so I would, when I would sit down to write, I would kind of think about that statement and just tell the Lord, this was your idea. So you're going to have to do it because I have nothing to say. And so seeing his faithfulness through that process and digging into scripture for the purpose of writing this study helped my own faith and then teaching it to some of the women at my church over summer and seeing how God was using it to encourage and challenge them in turn, like just breathed more life into my faith to see that first of all, that God trusts me with his words is a huge deal. Mm. And then to see that what he does through me can breathe life into other people so deeply um, was life-giving to me. Mm. I think that's really cool. Um, You know, when you were talking earlier a little bit about sort of uh, forcing yourself into these situations where you have to spend time with God and then in that like getting some good stuff out of it it made me think of a verse um, I spent a summer in London working with some churches out there and had like one of my biggest like crisis of faith like do I even believe in God I'm here sharing the gospel (laughs) with people and I don't even know if God's real and like somebody shared this verse with me and it was like okay all right this kind of carried me through a little bit but it's um, Philemon uh, one six, I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. And it just kind of reminded me that like sharing our faith deepens our relationship and it deepens our understanding. And I saw God do incredible things that summer and like went from being like, okay, I'm good to like, then this crisis of faith to like, oh my gosh, God is pretty incredible. And um, I think that that's really important for us to continue in those healthy habits, even when you're not feeling it. Right. Because the tendency is to go the opposite direction. And that just hardens your heart so much more. Like it makes you not want to hear or see the goodness around you because you're so focused on that. Um, So you kind of alluded to a lot of these things, but... um, but just ways that you were you were serving and how advancing the kingdom like helps in our healing. Um, I've seen that in my own life, and um, I know that you were kind of talking about how being involved in this Bible study initially was healing for you because it was this this time to just release. But then it also became this opportunity to start pouring into other people, and I think that's. That's really awesome. Is there any other times that you saw this in your life where, you know, serving sort of helped in your healing? Absolutely. I think, you know, it was really interesting that first season back because so much of my identity had been wrapped up in doing ministry. Mm. And it was really difficult for me not to do something right away. Mm. And talked with church leadership and was like, please let me do something. Mm -hmm. Um, And just nothing was, no doors were opening for that, which was frustrating to me because I felt really disconnected from myself in that. Mm -hmm. Um, But as the Lord gave me space to just sit and be, which I think I needed in that first part of the healing to just sit and disconnect my identity from what I was doing um, and just be with him and be in the midst of his people. Mm -hmm. Um, That was good. And then as I pressed in getting involved, and so I started a little bit 
um, helping with worship at my church again. I had I went back to a church that I helped plant before I had taken the youth ministry job. And so it was weird to go back there and not have something to do when I got back. But then stepping back into some of those roles as time went on was really sweet. And so to step back into leading worship uh, on, you know, a few Sunday mornings and I joined the prayer team. And I think joining prayer team was such a big help to me because all of a sudden I was standing face to face with people on Sunday evenings that I had never seen. I didn't know them. I didn't know they went to our church. You know, Mm -hmm. our church is not small. And so um, I was standing face to face with these people and hearing what was happening in their lives. And one of the most frustrating things to me about church culture is that we can be really great about standing shoulder to shoulder with people and doing spiritual things without actually knowing anything about one another. Um, And community groups can be like that where you come together on a Tuesday night and open God's word and have a great discussion. Right. And you're like, what was that person's name? Yeah. (laughs) What, where do they work? What do they do? Do they have Mm -hmm. kids? And you just don't really know each other at all, but you're Mm -hmm. doing these deep spiritual things together. So you feel like you do. Right. And so standing face to face with people who were sharing hurts with me and sharing prayer needs with me was such a difference maker as far as feeling like, okay, church does have a purpose. It's not just we come because that's what we're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. There's a reason for this. Like we are supposed to be doing life together. And so getting to walk with other people and, you know, see them the next week and ask them about, you know, their sick aunt or mm-hmm. their friend's marriage that is falling apart that they were wanting prayer for, getting to talk to them about those things and watching God's faithfulness in the midst of those things was really healing for me. And then, you know, Harvey came mm. and <laughs> was devastating. Harvey. Oh, Gosh. Harvey was devastating to our city. Mm-hmm. But in a lot of ways, I think was very healing for our city. Your church and, was like super involved and still is. Yes. With Harvey stuff, which is yes. crazy that we're over a year past and they're still very much a part of like rebuilding people's lives, which right. is amazing. Well, there are whole parts of our city that kind of get ignored. They get dismissed and overlooked, you know. Right. And I was very proud. I don't know if proud's the right word, but proud of the way that my church jumped in in the beginning, but Mm -hmm. made a decision and a commitment to say, we're going to be in this with people until there's no more need Mm. to be met, you know? And so we have partnered with Cashmere Gardens, which is this neighborhood that's in the heart of Houston that you don't go, there's nothing there. You don't Mm -hmm. go to Cashmere Gardens to go to the store or do anything. It sounds real fancy, but but it's it's an area very, (laughs) a pretty low income area where there's a lot of hurt and a lot of need. Right. And so there are still homes that haven't been fully mucked out, you know, Mm. drywall or flooring that's still in there that is moldy and, um, or families that are living in one room of their house because that's the only room that got you know, taken care of and redone and the rest of their house doesn't have flooring in it or, you know, and so, yeah, our church has still really been diligently pressing into that, Mm -hmm. which has been sweet. But I think, you know, not just for me, but I think across our city, as horrible as Harvey was, it also brought a lot of healing because suddenly we were seeing people come together and the church come together and say, Hey, we're supposed to be the solution to this. We're supposed to be working towards wholeness. And so we got to get to work, you know, and I think seeing the church come together, not just a church, but in general, the church and seeing people put aside their own priorities and put aside their own grief. Cause there were, I mean, very few people in our city came out on the other side of Harvey without someone they know Mm. being affected. And so to see people say, I've got some things that I need to do, but I'm going to come help you with your devastation first because mine can wait. Mm. I think 
brought healing to our city and we haven't maybe hung on to a lot of it and Mm -hmm. you know as political things come up and cultural things come up we have slipped back into some of that division but to see for a season what is possible um, when people work together to overcome grief um, it, it it does heal right and so I think for me being able to step outside of myself during that time and work shoulder to shoulder with people from the community and people in my church to step into other people's grief um, and bring hope to my neighbors also breathed life into me right I think that's really really good it's so that was really well put um what was some of the best advice and some of the worst advice you have received in in times where you were struggling with God I love this question (laughs) (laughs) so the worst advice that I think anybody could give to any human being Mm -hmm. but particularly to a four (laughs) is to get over it Mm. So you guys don't uh, get over things. No, it <laughs> is important like to us, and I really think it's healthy for everyone to process grief. You know, if right. we just try to move on and forget that something hard has happened or that there's been a wound, that grief is not just going to go away on its own. You either deal with it or it festers. Mm-hmm. And so to tell someone that they should get over it or move on or, you know, f- go find something else to put your energy into mm. so that you can forget that you're hurting. That's not helpful, you know, and it can be good to find other things to put your energy into, but not for the purpose of ignoring right. pain. It has to be both. Um, and as the way that I'm wired, I'm wired to be sensitive. I'm wired to feel things deeply And I kind of grew up being told I was too sensitive and for a long time thought that that was something broken in me and realized in my early 20s that God actually wired me to be that way. And it can be messy Mm -hmm. when I'm walking in my flesh, then it becomes about me and Mm -hmm. what I think is right and wrong and what hurts my feelings. But when I'm walking in the Lord, then that sensitivity is directed at things that break his heart. Mm. And sometimes it's one and the same. Right. You know, that what wounds me also breaks his heart. Right. For whatever, because of whatever the cause is. Mm-hmm. And so telling someone to move on and get over it is not very helpful when they're no. grieving, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as far as the best advice, I don't, I've thought a lot about this as an adult. And I don't know that anybody ever taught me to do this other than the Lord. Mm -hmm. Um, But pressing into the Lord in times of doubt rather than running away. Can you explain that a little bit more? Yes, absolutely. So I think, you know, doubt is essential to growth. Mm -hmm. If we don't doubt our picture as a four-year-old of God on a cloud with a long beard and Mm -hmm. harps around him then we never grow in our understanding of who God is. Like Mm -hmm. it would be ridiculous if in our thirties, that's what we thought God was, (laughs) you know, we have to doubt what we believe in order to discover a deeper truth. Mm. And, but doubt is also really disorienting. And so we have naturally, I think a tendency when doubt comes up, to run away from God Mm. because we think, well, if this is not who you are and this is what I've always believed you to be, well, then I don't want anything to do with you because Mm. now I don't know who you are anymore. And so our tendency is to run from him when we feel those things. But I think taking them to him is the better option because he can handle it. Mm -hmm. He can handle our screaming angry disappointment right you know and so pressing into him and saying hey like i thought that you were good and this doesn't seem good to me one of the stories that continually comes up in seasons like this for me is 
John 11 and the story of Lazarus. Mm. And um, several years ago, I was in a season of disappointment with the church and frustration with God because I didn't feel like he was responding to me crying out to him Mm -hmm. about some hard things that were going on. And this story kept being preached. Like everywhere I turned, people were preaching about Lazarus (laughs) and Jesus raising him from the dead. And I was honestly, I hated that story (laughs) because (laughs) I had done the math and Mary and Martha send for Jesus and he doesn't immediately go. He waits two days. Mm. And when he shows up, Lazarus had been dead for four days. Mm. And so every time the story would come up, I would think, if you had left immediately, uh-huh. he still would have been dead two days. You still could have raised him from the dead. <laughs> and all the hurrah would have still happened. And so all that you did by waiting was prolong the grief mm. for Mary and Martha. And that does not seem kind to me. And I would, you know, every time this would come up, I would say that and just kind of throw it back at him and be like, you're supposed to be kind and good. And I do not see how this is kind and good. And I will never forget that one day I was looking at that story and reading through it, probably to prove my point. Uh (laughs) And really early on in the chapter, it talks about, you know, Mary and Martha send someone to get Jesus and he doesn't go. He decides to wait. And it says, so it says, Jesus loved Mary and Martha, so he waited. And I don't know why I had never seen that verse or read that verse in that way before, but there was something in me that kind of just released the frustration of that. Because if it was motivated by love, even if we don't know what the purpose was on the other side of it, what they got out of his waiting, but he waited because he loved them. Mm. And so their prolonged grief was out of love. Mm. And I still don't get all of that. And in seasons of grief, I still am not thrilled about that. Right. But if God is waiting and allowing me to feel this longer than I want to because he loves me, then I can deal with that. Mm, That's really good. When you're talking about like pushing into God, even after you're hurting and especially during that time, it kind of, I'm not a super athletic person these days. I was in high school, eh, sort of, but um, (laughs) working out, you know, the, the, the idea behind it is that your muscles are being stretched and even tearing so that they can expand and they can grow. But like, that's kind of what's happening with us. Like we can only grow so much without being pushed. And so I think that's, that's really good. Um, I have another question for you. So if you could, this is a surprise one. So, (laughs) so if you could send a message to yourself 10 years ago, what would you tell younger Aaron? Oh, that's a good question. I think. Sorry to throw that one. That's all right. That's all right. It's a great question. I'm trying to think back to my decade younger self would have been shortly after your time at A&M. Yes. I go ahead. I think I would have one just wanted to communicate to her that she doesn't have to have it figured out mm. because she doesn't have it figured out. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it, it's okay to acknowledge that. Right. And it's okay to navigate life as it comes and not have to have the plan and have the future laid out because God rarely does what we think he's going to anyways. Um, yeah. And and I think in that, you know, being being tender with her because decade younger Aaron had really big ideas about what God had called her to and what 
impact she would have on mm-hmm. the world. And those are really great things. But I think, you know, being being really kind to her in saying, you know, your impact may not look the way that you think it's going to, but it doesn't mean it's less valuable. And along those lines, I think I would tell her that she needs to be really careful and intentional to look for the gifts that God is giving um, because it's really easy and has been really easy for me to get focused on what is lacking Mm. and forget all the sweet things that have been given along the way. Um, There's, this is a little bit of a side note, but several months ago, um, I was listening to Genesis Mm. in the car because I have a long drive. (laughs) And as I listened, this detail stood out to me that I had never thought of before. And it was talking about the tree of knowledge of good and evil and how it was in the center of the garden. And it occurred to me that if that was in the center of the garden, Eve had to have been standing there looking at it Mm. when the temptation happened. She was given, Adam and Eve were given everything else in the garden to enjoy. Mm -hmm. And so if she had looked up for one second, looked away from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, she would have been reminded of all of the grace and goodness that God had made available to her. Mm -hmm. But she was so fixated on this one thing Mm. that she couldn't have that wasn't given to her that she forgot about everything else that was around her. And I think I have the tendency to do the same, to get really fixated on this one thing that you're keeping from me and think that that one thing is going to bring joy when all around me, if I would just stop for a second and look around, I would see all of the gifts that God has given me. Yeah, that's great. That's It's a lack of trust in God. Totally. Right? It's um, And that's kind of the root of a lot of our sin and a lot of our um, doubt and a lot mm-hmm. of things is just we don't really believe that God is good and that God is going to take care of us. And I think right. that's good. We have, Sometimes it just takes like, stopping changing your your point of view like we kind of talked about earlier um there's when we were talking um this verse is really i really like is psalm eighty six fifteen. but you O lord are a god merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness um i, I think even in the midst of hard times in times where we doubt god's goodness in ta- times of um, rebellion sometimes because I mean sometimes that that is part of the course part of the course is you you leave and you you wander and you stray but we have a God who is gracious and merciful and slow mm-hmm. to anger and that is not the way that I would describe myself sometimes but um <laughs> Me neither. abounding in steadfast love like his love is never going to fail and um just to kind of change our perspective and to look at Look at God, look at our heavenly father and look at how much he, he cares so deeply for us. So, um, I just want to thank you so much for coming today. It, it's really been great. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for, um, being on the first episode and guys, uh, if you don't, if you haven't realized it through the conversation, Erin's like super talented, like she's in seminary, she's teaching, she's a singer songwriter with an amazing voice. She's a Bible study writer now. So she's, she's got a whole lot going on. And I think that's amazing that God is using so many different giftings of yours along with your, your paid job as a teacher. So that's yes, with that's middle schoolers, middle school adventure, mm, <laughs> such a great age. Yes, <laughs> it really is. But, um, I just am so thankful that you came out and I just want to say like kudos to you for, um, kind of, taking the difficult journey that you've been through and using that to help empower others. And um, that that being pushed aside that you described at the beginning, and um, hopefully that helps to um, open people's eyes to ways that maybe they have done that in the past to others and help them to bring others in and to celebrate the giftings that each of us have and 
to empower those around us because Jesus said to make disciples. He didn't say to make like a few leaders and everybody else was going to worship under them. Like he wants us to go make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And and that is how our world is going to be changed. It's so, um, I just am so impressed with the things that you've done and the ways that you've been through difficult seasons and sometimes are still going through them. And I appreciate your, your honesty in the midst of that. So thank you so much for coming on. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a joy. Uh, Thanks, guys, for listening. Have a good day.